Hey everyone, welcome to The Mind of a Skeptical Leftist. I've got another great interview for you. Uh, this time around, I talked to Dr. Edwin Hodge, who's a professor of sociology, who uh, specializes in extremist groups. Uh, I wanted to talk to him about the anti-mask and anti-vax movement and how it overlaps with the far right and white supremacist groups. Now, we focus a lot on Canada, uh, but mo the conversation does kind of cover a lot of a little bit of other stuff. And it made me quite a, think quite a bit about how people misunderstand freedom and uh, the constitutions that uh, kind of lay out our rights and freedoms within our uh, countries. So that leads me to what I was thinking about for an introduction this time around. And I want to briefly talk about what is and is not wrong with the freemen on the land or the uh, sovereign citizen movements. Uh, so first, I want to start off with what they get wrong, because they get pretty much absolutely everything wrong, as long as it has to do with the law, legal loopholes, uh, constitutions of whatever country they happen to live in, and basically everything they think about how one interacts with the state. Um, they're also totally wrong when it comes to things like private property, capitalism, the Fed, centralized banking, and money in general. Uh, this also includes cryptocurrency. Uh, cryptocurrency won't save us. I'm sorry. I know crypto leftists like that, but it's not going to work. It's, it, you cannot save the world by using a currency that takes more carbon to produce than current fiat currency. You just can't do it. <laughs> Let's see. What else is there? Uh, the gold standard hasn't been a thing for a very long time and money wasn't inherently better when it was attached to gold. <laughs> money is bad. Money is an illegitimate uh, <laughs> kind of system. Uh, cash isn't any more meaningful when it's on paper than when it's digital ones and zeros. Uh, it's all illegitimate and it's all a tool that's just used to measure value in a market system. And of course, market systems are not inherent. They are necessary, but they are not sufficient uh, for capitalism. Capitalism is more than markets and markets are, are a separate entity that are part of capitalism, but also part of other systems. Um, but that also is a, a huge discussion that I don't know that I have the time for. Uh, but if you're like me and you think that value ought not be determined by markets or that money is uh, <laughs> the wrong way to determine or measure the value of things that we all need to live, then cash or digital currency, no matter what it is, it's all nonsense. Um, <laughs> Edwin, uh, Dr. Hodge and I get into it a little bit, but uh, many of the sovereign citizen types are basing their views on an American-centric understanding of rights. Uh, most of those from Canada haven't even read the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and that's a pretty big deal if you're going to use that to uh, as the basis of your arguments. <laughs> but one of the things they have right is that the countries we live in, uh, the states that we exist within the borders of, are run by corporations. One could make a reasonable argument that states exist in the same way that corporations exist and are legal entities meant to benefit some while exploiting others. Uh, if they made those arguments, then I would agree with them, perhaps. Uh, they don't, of course, make those arguments. Sovereign citizens in the U.S. argue that the country is actually, actually a cor corporation and therefore has no legal power over them. And this is just a fundamental misunderstanding of what gives a state its power. Um, states hold power and legitimacy insofar as they are supposed to work in the best interests 
of the citizenry. Uh, corporations are only beholden to shareholders, while states are supposed to be beholden to those who live within their borders. In practice, of course, uh, we know that states are much less legitimate than that, but they still maintain a level of that legitimacy as long as enough of the population believes that they are serving in the public interest. America in particular is showing who it really serves uh, and capital and corporations, and it's losing legitimacy in the eyes of the public in many ways. Um, this is why we see the uprisings that we do. On, on one hand, you see uprisings on the left from uh, Black Lives Matter because the, the power that the state is using to oppress uh, people of color, uh, black folks in particular, is uh, it's, it's showing the illegitimacy of that state. Um, and on the right, you have, uh, you have a variety of nonsense ideas <laughs> that, that lend, uh, but they all are tied on some level to uh, the idea that the state is no longer legitimate because of the, way, of the interests that it serves. Even those on the right are seeing the state in much the way it truly exists as a tool for those with power over those without, uh, with a poli police and a military who will enact violence on those who push back against the state. Uh, Canada isn't far behind, and many countries have had uprisings the last few years, and people are seeing the oppressive state as a tool for the wealthy and the powerful all over the place. One of the things that sovereign citizens get right is how the state apparatus isn't actually worthy of legitimacy. Uh, they understand that the monopoly on violence is illegitimate. Uh, they get that coercion is bad and that we ought not let the state dictate to us what we do with our bodies uh, or that we ought to be able to move freely or trade without interference. Uh, the trouble is that they think that this extends to things like health orders. Uh, these things, I mean, I'm not going to pretend that health orders... Uh, they do present a bit of trouble for anarchists uh, who believe that the world should be without states. Uh, we will need to find a way to get everyone to take uh, the health of those around them seriously and to accept scientific data. I, I personally think that this will be easier when there is no such thing as big pharma. Um, <laughs> but we will still need to contend with issues like this until we have established a new order where corporations aren't driven by profit and people can actually learn, accept, and trust scientific findings about medicine and health. I've said it before, and I, I stand by it, despite it being an apparent contradiction <laughs> with my other values, but nothing turns me into an authoritarian quite like talking to anti-vaxxers. Just get the fucking vaccine. Uh, in the same way that sovereign citizens think that they have found loopholes in the legal system that they can exploit, anti-vaxxers, with no actual research skills, think they have found a way to debunk scientific consensus. I think that the same mental faculties are being used in these two groups, and that's why you end up with such big overlap in uh, ideas. One of the keys here is that neither of these groups is an expert in the area that they're discussing, and they ought to listen to those who are experts in those fields uh, to inform their views. I'm no fan of the law, but I listen to lawyers when I'm forming my opinions about laws. I'm not a fan of big pharma, but I trust research scientists when they're discussing certain things. And I know that I don't have the knowledge to uh, debunk or, or to counter their, the pers perspective of the scientific consensus. I will accept evidence as things change and as more comes out. You know, if you can actually provide good logical 
reasons or good sound evidence uh, as to why certain things shouldn't be the way they are or shouldn't uh, sh- one shouldn't accept certain uh, consensus views, then I will change my views. <clears throat> as I said, though, one of the differences I see between the anarchist movement and sovereign citizens uh, is that anarchists don't believe the state should exist, but we don't deny the reality of its current existence and the power uh, where that it holds, where sovereign citizens think that a type of state still needs to exist, but they don't believe in the legitimacy or power of the current iteration of states. Um, That's why the sovereign citizens movement is so prevalent in Canada and the US, and you don't see a lot of that stuff in other parts of the world. Our states are actually very robust and powerful and weigh in on the daily lives of citizens a lot. Um, And this results in a lot of pushback, but without a proper analysis of class, capital, and power. Uh, (laughs) And the state holds... uh, and it, it results in a nonsense set of ideas that uh, contradict each other and rely on the state in order to subvert the state. Again, it's if it sounds like nonsense, it's large, largely because it is. If they think, I think they have the right sentiment, but their analysis sucks. So they have no idea what to do next. And it results in a bunch of appeals to the legal system in order to avoid the legal system. Again, <laughs> I understand that, that sounds like nonsense. Uh, however, I don't know if there's anything else I can say about it. Um, I, I just end up repeating myself, uh, but feel free to email me if you have any thoughts on this and I will try my best to address them. If you have information that contradicts what I said, then for sure, let me know. With that, I want to say thank you to all of my patrons and to everyone who listens or watches. Uh, please make sure to share the show with your friends or family who may be interested Uh, in the perspectives of an anarchist who also happens to be a laborer in a conservative province. If you want to become a patron, you can do that at patreon.com slash skeptical leftist, or you can send a one-time donation to buymeacoffee.com slash skeptical lefty. If you can't support my work financially, then a five-star rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or one of the podcast review sites would be great. Uh, Also, the thumbs up thing on the on the YouTube. That's awesome too. And with that, I'm going to send you over to the interview with Dr. Edwin Hodge. Uh, so I guess, hi and welcome to The Mind of a Skeptical Leftist, the podcast where I talk to a variety of people to promote critical thinking, progressive politics, and left-wing philosophy. I'm joined by Ed, Dr. Edwin Hodge. Uh, from the University of Victoria. Well, Thanks hi. for joining me. It's my pleasure. So it's been a while since we talked. Uh, I've interviewed you a couple times because I like your perspective. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. So, uh, but I guess this time we're kind of talking about uh, COVID and uh, anti-maskers and uh, how that intersects with kind of far-right extremists. Mm-hmm. And before we started uh, actually recording, we were kind of going on a rant here about some of these guys and how they don't seem to understand uh, their their constitutional rights. Uh, and I was just thinking, like, the one of the things that they seem hung up on is like this. Uh, they get an American centric view of the Constitution of their rights. Right. Like they hear it on Fox News and that's what they're promoting. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's exactly what they're doing. They uh, if you if you listen to a lot of the rhetoric that comes out of these folks, 
Um, they're getting a lot of, of what they what they understand their constitutional rights to be from yeah from from commenters in the United States and and for anyone who's even looked at our <laughs> charter versus the American Constitution, I mean they were written two centuries apart and yeah. they they are in in fact very different animals. So a lot of these folks are getting their information from from American sources and not just Fox, but increasingly from one American news, which is oh, yeah, uh, an even right. further right uh, outfit. But they're also getting the, uh, some of their information in the Canadian context from folks who subscribe to the so-called Freeman on the land movement, uh, which <laughs> if, if there is a if there is an absolute wrong place to get constitutional <laughs> information, that right. would be it. Uh, the most uh, misunderstanding of the constitution that exists. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's uh, there's a, a trope or a cliche that goes around in, in skeptical circles. It's uh, called uh, being not even wrong, right? The idea that you are, your position is so off base that it demonstrates that you lack the basic knowledge to even make a mistake because a mistake implies that you have some idea what the truth or what the correct position might be. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's right. so far past that that you, you you're not even wrong. You're you're effectively just just saying nonsense. You're you're saying words that have independent meanings, right? But together <laughs> mean nothing. And mean so, nothing. Yeah. 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 It's funny. Uh, I guess <laughs> we started it off hot a little bit, but. Uh, before we get too much farther into it, why don't we say, like, uh, why don't you tell people a little bit more about yourself? Uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I suppose I could do that. <laughs> Let people know who the hell you are. Uh, so, so my name is, is Dr. Edwin Hodge. Uh, I, uh, I work in the Department of Sociology at the University of Victoria. I'm also a research fellow uh, through the Center for Global Studies at the University of Victoria. And uh, I, I have a, a rather, at least in some interpretations, I have a wide palette of, of, of sort of research interests, but uh, really they, they tend to, to intersect a lot. So I study uh, extremist ideology, radicalization, uh, and conspiratorial belief systems. So uh, these days, uh, I'm looking at groups like QAnon, like Freeman on the Land, uh, like uh, what used to be called the alt-right, but which is now just the right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I look at a lot of of, uh, of movements that are rooted in, in this sort of conspiratorial worldview. That tends to be what I'm, what I'm focused on these days. I should have got you on to talk about uh, QAnon. I, I did a QAnon explainer and I interviewed uh, Travis View from the QAnon Anonymous podcast. Oh, yes. Uh, so... I should have had you on to talk about that. QAnon was is one of those fascinating things that I just uh, I don't understand how they can believe what they believe, and yet I keep being drawn to finding out more of their stuff. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, they're one of the most fascinating. Okay, so sociologically, they're one of the most fascinating uh, um, social movements, and uh, uh, you know, kicking around. They are anti-government. They are conspiratorial in the extreme. They are remarkably nonpartisan. And that's the scary part to me is, um, is that we, we continually, we want to cluster them into the far right, but that's not yeah. actually accurate. They started in the far right. They have huge followings in the far right and in the evangelical right, but they also draw huge numbers of recruits from like mommy blogs 
and right. yoga blogs <laughs> and like the sort of the the uh, the new age left. So they yeah. they have they've mutated in a way that I haven't seen. Uh, I haven't seen from other social movements uh, in, in the last hundred years. And somehow, like, uh, despite being very focused on American government stuff, uh, it's also like global. Like yeah. it's uh, all <laughs> like even in the UK or like there's there's QAnon rallies all over the world. Yeah, and it's it's for a very good reason, right? The they started in the United States as pro-Trump anti-democrat kind of of trolling on on 4chan um but what really allowed the movement to to to, to spread and sort of to, to segue into what we're talking about today to the, the what allowed the QAnon movement to to merge so effectively with uh anti-vax movements and anti-mask movements it's not the the content of their political beliefs it's the structure of their conspiratorial ideology um, so mm. all they had to say was, oh yeah, in America, it's the Democrats, but in Canada, it's the liberals, right? They don't really care that much about the NDP because the NDP don't, aren't, are, they aren't a, a, an incredibly powerful force in Canada. I mean, <laughs> right. <laughs> the, I mean, it, it, in places like, so on the island, the, the island is like all NDP except for, uh, the Gulf islands, which are, sand, which are green. Um, but like east of the Rockies. <laughs> you're getting yeah. the NDP in a couple of isolated pockets here and there. So it's the liberals. It's Justin Trudeau and it's the liberals in the UK. It's the Tories or sorry, it's labor. Um, right. You know, it's it, the, the content doesn't matter. It can be switched out depending on what jurisdiction they're in. So, yeah. so, but the conspiracy, the conspiratorial elements, they're universal. The core of it, eh? Yeah, the, it's, it's the skeleton. It's the skeleton that matters. The meat that's hang, that hangs off of it, it can change. <laughs> but the skeleton right. is always the same. What if, uh, I mean, I guess a lot of people have had this discussion already, but what do you think of the uh, the idea that it's rooted in anti-Semitism, the QAnon? You you dig down into the majority of, of, of extremist like conspiracy theories these days, and anti-Semitism is in there. Yeah. Um, QAnon's QAnon's uh, whole thing about uh, about uh, uh, these sort of global shadow governments uh, that are the, you know the, the, these shadowy cabals, these deep state networks, all of this, yeah. I mean, you you, you, <laughs> you go back far enough and you find that it's it'll eventually include international Zionists or international bankers or the globalists. That's all been dog whistles. That's been dog whistles since. You know, it's been dog right. whistles for as long as there's been dog whistles, um, but it all goes back to to the 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 belief in a Jewish, an international Jewish conspiracy, which you can find, you can link that all the way back to the protocols of the elders of Zion, right? Like one of the most infamous hoaxes ever generated, and it was czarist yeah. propaganda in czarist Russia, pre pre Nazi anti Semitic conspiracy, one hundred percent. Yeah, I was listening to something, uh, and like even. The Nazis knew that the protocols were fake, but they promoted it because it made people follow their ideology <clears throat> and they didn't have to worry about as much that way. Sure. They, uh, I mean, the, yeah, the, the, the protocols were widely known to be bullshit czarist propaganda, even when they were, even in the early 1900s. Like that was, <laughs> so, everybody yeah. knew. 
it's just it 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 as you say it was a it, it's not about the truth it's about propaganda yeah right? we can get into we can get into into truth claims and and the use of so your <laughs> your, your listeners viewers should google harry frankfurt his essay on bullshit it is an academic treatise on the nature of bullshit and nice. it is probably going to be one of the best tools that they can ha- that they can get their hands on to help them understand where we are today Okay, interesting. Uh, I will definitely have to look that up. <laughs> so I guess initially I, I wanted to get your take on the anti-mask movement. Uh, so <laughs> I guess if it doesn't matter how true what they th- think is, similar to uh, these other conspiracies, uh, like where does this stuff kind of come from? I mean, a lot of it is coming from pre-established or predispositions uh, th- that, uh, you know, these sort of th- this, this position that says that, that the government is bad, right? That whatever the government does is bad. Um, the anti mask. Sorry. Get on board with that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit around and say the government's great. Um, but, uh, but uh, you know, the, there is this, there's a, Bunch of different ways you can look at at the, at the claim that the government is bad, right? Yeah. One of those claims, the government is bad. Why? Because it continually oppresses uh, marginalized groups, and it is in fact structured primarily to exploit the labor of marginalized classes, right? Yeah, that's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is uh, the government is a overreaching, tyrannical, dictatorial, uh, <laughs> dictatorial behemoth. Uh, that is trammeling all over. It's just stomping on all of our individual rights, um, and also it's probably in the control. In the in the, it's probably being controlled by the Jews, right? And that's <laughs> right. that kind of of rhetoric tends to pop up more in far right uh, in far right uh, circles. So right. The anti mask movement started so epistemologically. Sort of in terms of how its knowledge is, is structured, it started in that kind of predisposition. Where did it like actually start? In the politicization of, of the COVID epidemic by right wing politicians in the United States. Like we know that yeah. empirically. We can we, we saw it happen in real time. Uh, mask mandates weren't a thing. They weren't a, they weren't a problem until the Republican Party. And guys like 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 Ron Johnson and uh, and Ted Cruz and Donald Trump and his all of his supporters and sycophants decided that wearing a mask and then getting a vaccine was a that was a like a, a political purity test. It was a litmus test. Right. If you get a mask, you're not a patriot. You're not a Trump supporter. You're a Democrat. If you get the vaccine, you're a Democrat. You're a liberal, and you love big government. Uh, you know, you love big government uh, taking care of you. It was politicized. It was weaponized as yeah. a way of of helping to shift the 2020 election. Like, we know that. So, I guess, I don't know if it's as big in, in the United States, but in Canada, I've also seen it accompanied by this great reset uh, kind of rhetoric. Uh, what is that? I mean, that's classic white supremacist nonsense. Uh, <laughs> okay. so, so, the great reset... The Great Reset also emerges out of anti-Semitic conspiratorial beliefs about a, a sort of pan, you know, this sort of global plot uh, by deep state actors or by like international Zionists or globalists or, or whatever. Uh, and the idea is that the, the pandemic is a perfect opportunity for all of these governments all around the world to 
uh, to, to end democracy and end capitalism and impose a kind of new communism on the world. Um, which like, it <laughs> doesn't logic, sound that bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I am, I am all for, I am all for seizing the means of production and, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, reuniting, uh, workers with, with the product of their labor. But yeah. the, the way they, the way that, that it's constructed is that these governments are somehow going to benefit from annihilating their own economies and right, right. imposing a new one, which, of course, the logic doesn't actually work, but no. it doesn't have to work. But you that's just get the, to call you get to call Justin Trudeau a communist and, <laughs> and claim he's in that we're suddenly in an authoritarian communist dictatorship. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, of all of the of all of the things you could accuse Justin Trudeau of being <laughs> yeah. a communist is probably the like the one that fits the least. Like, are you kidding me? This guy's a this guy's a center right neoliberal. Like, there's nothing about him that even that even speaks towards social democracy. No, like, that's right. Yeah, it's uh, I've I've had a number of people unfriend me because they were calling Justin Trudeau a communist, and I was like, this is absolute nonsense. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's. Yeah, like where is Justin Trudeau calling for the collectivization of 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 say like agricultural industries or or the like where? Yeah, that's right. And I it, guess, sorry, <laughs> I guess people don't really understand what communism is either. Like, uh, I had a guy tell me the other day that his boss having video cameras on the work site was communism. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> so, you know, I guess the mean, the word means whatever the hell you want. <laughs> that's exactly it. Like the word is a cipher, right? It, it, it's you, you substitute it for anything you don't like. So yeah, my my boss putting putting cameras up in public spaces is communism. How exactly? Like yeah. where where is it in in the writings of prominent of prominent communists and 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 Marxists and like where do they say collectivize seize the means of production? Also, surveil your <laughs> workforce with with uh, Google Nest that you can yeah, buy right. from a uh, from a multinational capitalist uh, conglomerate. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm sure I'm sure Marx would be in favor of uh, video cameras all over the workplace, monitoring the movements of every every employee. Right. I'm pretty sure that when Marx was writing his thing, he was like, oh, you know, what would be great if I could create <laughs> sort of a panopticon and 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 just observe everybody. Because in Marx. Yeah, that's that's what was going through Marx's mind. And Engels yeah, was like, right. yeah, no, let's do that. Yeah. Let's do that. Also, yeah, 100%. Uh, let's uh, let's let's create a capitalist economy and then just annihilate it, uh, thus annihilating the the, the 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 foundations of our own power. Um, you know, uh, to, to own the libs <laughs> or whatever, like it's or whatever. Yeah, it's so bonkers to me. Yeah, I. Uh, one of the other things that I've sort of seen within the anti-vax or anti-mask stuff is just a flat out denial that COVID is even existing. So how can, <laughs> like, I don't know how to wrap my head around the explanations they have for, uh, the number of people who have been sick and died and all this, like, uh, I just don't understand. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, this is, this is part of how you construct an alternative worldview, right? Is so they don't, they'll, the way that they do it is, is actually pretty clever. Right. You, so you, you say that COVID, COVID don't real, 
and then you say, okay, but but COVID very much do real, like it's it's around, like look, <laughs> yeah. and their look. response is, uh, okay, well those numbers are lies, and you say, but how can they be lies? Like there's bodies, like you can see them, and they go, oh no, those are put on display, they are, or um, hospitals are being paid. Uh, hospitals are being paid to inflate their COVID numbers so they'll get more COVID funding, which again, like what? what? Like, <laughs> n- no, that's not how that works. Um, or they will simply say, oh yeah, no, it's just like the flu or it's whatever. So there's always, there is, there's always going to be a fallback position for any, mm-hmm. for any time you refute a claim that they have, right? So if you say, well, no, like the, here's the data that clearly shows that COVID is a thing that exists. And they'll say, okay, fine, it exists, but it's not as bad as you think. And you say, okay, but here's the data that shows that it is very much as bad as you think. And in some cases might actually be worse than you think (laughs) because governments, even in BC, there's been this, this, there's, there's a, there's the critics are are looking at the, the numbers are going, are you actually counting all of the COVID deaths or are you, playing with those you massaging that data a bit right and and their response will be nope uh governments are lying about that too uh they're saying that everything if you go into a hospital and you die from a uh, from septic shock because you you had a, a, a got in a car accident and you're you got blood poisoning or whatever uh they'll mark it as covid and you say okay but that's not true either like <laughs> look you can see the, the 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 data coming out from from you know from the cdc or from the government sources and they'll go ah there's there's your problem Trust in the government. Ah, uh, yes. Your sheep. Yes. And you're just like, okay, so what would actually work for you? What evidence do you need? And the, the only evidence they'll go with is, I need to do the, the research myself. And then you say, well, are you a virologist or an immunologist or an epidemiologist? And they go, all those words sound stupid. Uh, I, just, <laughs> I just know how to Google. I, and I have reason and common sense. And then you go, yes. well, all right then. Reason and common sense. Those yep. are, Yeah. The appeal to common sense is so annoying. <laughs> it's so annoying. It's you just want to be like, yeah, but common sense on a lot of things is wrong. And like, yeah, you can't just if you're going through life relying on what everybody else thinks, um, doesn't that make you the opposite of a free thinker? Yeah, that which one of us is the sheep? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Not that I like calling people sheep, but but yeah. Uh, what what do you think of like uh the various nurse movement nurses movements that are also anti-vaccine. Like I know uh, here there's a number of nurses that they're facing losing their jobs. And I, I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. That makes sense. But then there's a nurse shortage and overflowing hospitals. So <laughs> I guess where does, where do you think the balance lies there? I mean, I think we have to, I think we have to be pretty clear. The overwhelming majority of nurses are vaccinated or will be vaccinated. Yeah. We're talking about a, a rather small number. And in some cases, when we are looking at, uh, so in BC, there was a, a this, this a, a nurse's movement, but it wasn't, it wasn't a nurse's movement, right? There, there, there were people who were LPNs, right? Okay. Who are not RNs, they are they're a different kind of 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 nurse but they're not the ones you know who are primary care they're they're sort of support staff and there was like two or three of them and the rest were were like naturopaths and like homeopaths (laughs) and like who gives a shit what they think anyways they think that sugar cures cancer so 
Right, yeah. But so we have to be really, really clear about exactly who these groups are. Uh, we also have to be a little more skeptical when we hear claims like, oh yeah, nurses are are striking. Are they nurses? Right? I can I can get scrubs. I could wear them. Yeah. That doesn't make yeah. me a nurse. Uh, I could say I'm a nurse all over Facebook. That doesn't make me a nurse. Um, if I say that I work in healthcare, is that the same as saying that I'm a nurse? Because so do receptionists. They work yep. in healthcare. Yep. So do the greeters prep, at the doors. Yeah. Of, yeah. So do the, the <laughs> greeters that work at the doors of the hospital. They work in healthcare. But does that make them a, a, a nurses? So we have to be skeptical about those claims. Yeah. And then once we... You know, then we, we get the second part of your argument, which is, well, we're, we have a chronic nursing shortage. Yeah, we do. <laughs> but it doesn't follow that we should therefore allow, we should therefore go, oh, well, we've got a nursing shortage. I guess we'll just put these people with a demonstrated history of irresponsible behavior in charge of taking care of our loved ones. Like, yeah, these aren't fair. just fungible <laughs> bodies that, that we just pull out and plug back in. They look at the world in very different ways. And if the one of the ways that they look at the world is COVID isn't real, vaccines <laughs> will kill you, um, and also maybe Bill Gates is, is injecting microchips into our brains. Maybe they shouldn't be in charge of <laughs> care. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If, if you take your car, if your car starts making a lot of knocking sounds in the engine and you you drive down the road and you see two mechanic shops side by side, and you go, oh, well, they're both mechanics and I have a problem with my car. I guess it's good that we have two mechanics. But one of the mechanics, when you drive in, says, oh, yeah, no, it's gremlins. The problem in your car is gremlins. These little tiny, these little tiny guys that run around with little tiny hammers and they hit the side of your of your engine. To fix it, we just need to douse it in salt because gremlins hate salt. Well, guess what? You don't have two mechanics. You have one mechanic <laughs> and yeah. one nutter. Right? And yeah. it's pretty important that you figure that out before you get your car serviced. Yeah, before you pour a bunch of salt into your car. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. mean, okay, great. So they're both technically nurses, but one is calling for vaccines and the other is calling to for you to ingest ivermectin. Right. Like, Yeah, no. Seems like one of those isn't the person to listen to. <laughs> not only that, but, but you know, saying, well, there is a, a shortage of of healthcare workers. Yes, right. that is a thing that is true. But to then but, say, therefore, we should allow someone with dangerous, actually dangerous beliefs to, to, to go in in order to address that. No, actually, maybe we should be trying to find another solution. Yeah, like, uh, actually, even Alberta, as bad as they have it, they did come up with a good solution and they offered to pay for edu like nurses courses when they had a shortage last year, I think it was. Yep. And suddenly they had a whole bunch of nurses coming out of school. <laughs> like, I'm no, I guess that's how you do it. <laughs> I mean, I'm, 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 I'm no cheerleader for capitalism, but if you have a demand, you can increase the supply to address yep. it. And <laughs> yeah. like the, the, you know, the, the alternative is not, well, guess we'll just let anybody in. I mean, one, a, a solution that doesn't get talked about all that much is, we have people living in Canada, newcomers who've immigrated here from elsewhere, who have who were doctors and nurses, and they were medical practitioners in their home countries. But because of the way that Canada uh, extends licenses, uh, you know, to practice medicine to immigrants, there's often a series of structural barriers in place that prevent them from practicing. 
We yeah. actually have thousands of doctors and tens of thousands of nurses in Canada who yeah, are working doing in other, labor. Yeah. Yeah. They're working <laughs> other jobs, you know, cabbies and, and, and folks that are, that are doctors who aren't able to practice because the barriers to, to allow them to are too high. Well, yeah. instead of saying, why don't we, you know, why don't we open up the doors and allow these dangerous anti-vaxxers to take care of our people during a crisis that is only going to be prevented by the application of vaccines? Why wouldn't we take a look at all the barriers we have in place to prevent or to pre prevent actual medical practitioners, ones that might actually help from yeah. from joining the workforce? Yeah, it, they're not letting me go and be a nurse just because there's a shortage of nurses. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So I guess we wanted to kind of touch on how this intersects with the the far right. Uh, I know that in Canada, there's been this guy, uh, Chris Sky, going across the country, getting himself banned from various places. And he's, uh, to the best of my knowledge, he's also involved in white supremacist movements as well as... Um, this anti-mask, anti-vax stuff. So I wonder, is there a large contingent of anti-vax, anti-mask people who are also in these white supremacist type circles? So this is a really, a really tough question because, um, I mean, you know, Canada is a big country and I can't speak yeah. for everyone, but I can tell you from the Canadian or from the British Columbian content context, um, we actually have several, uh, several people. Uh, deeply involved in the anti-mask, anti-vax movement in BC, uh, who are also, uh, if not full-blown members of the Freeman on the Land movement and various white nationalist groups, um, certainly regurgitating that ideology. Uh, so one of the guys that uh, that's involved in the anti-max or anti-vax uh, anti-vax movement in in BC is uh, and the one one of the ones that that led the uh, that led anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers to, to enter uh, uh, elementary schools and, and high schools in, in British Columbia, uh, thus forcing all the schools in the district into secure and hold protocols, right? Into lockdown. Right. Um, he was the same guy that uh, trespassed into the village of Lytton, which is uh, a horrible wildfire came through in the summer, burned out like 90% of the village. Uh, it, it was just a tragedy, just a tragedy. Wow. And uh, he he snuck past the barricades and got into the uh, into the, the the city and started live streaming to Facebook. And he was claiming oh, he was claiming that all of the destruction it looked it didn't look like a wildfire. It looked like a spaceborne laser. So he was repeating that same conspiracy that Marjorie Taylor Greene and right. other like far right folk have been arguing that there's this like space laser that might be owned and operated by Israel hint hint uh and that it it so that that's that's what might have destroyed Lytton and so this is a guy that is now deeply involved in the British Columbian anti anti-mask and anti-vax movement and he's not the yeah. only one the one of the guys that's running the or that that's deeply involved in the Kelowna uh anti-mask anti-vax movement we know for a fact he is a notorious Freeman on the land and a notorious white nationalist. We know this because he showed up. He was name dropped in like a landmark case against the Freeman on the land in Alberta. The judge wrote this like 200 and something page like primer on the movement. Right. And he name dropped this guy uh, as uh, 
as like a, a paid up You've member. You've been singled out by the judge who tells you your movement that you're they're wrong. Exactly. Yeah. So so in in British Columbia, we know that there are these there are these deepening ties between the anti-vax movement, which historically started on the on the left among college-educated suburban white mums. That's right. that was the right, and then now it has been linked to groups like QAnon and to these Freeman on the Land uh, groups, which are which is one of the reasons why we're seeing a new tactic among anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers, which is the the, the act of serving people these pseudo legal documents oh, yeah. notices yeah. of liability or notices of that you you're involved in crimes against humanity or or whatever yep yeah a uh, couple people tried to do that at a pet store here yep. in Regina uh, and <laughs> they they said if you don't allow us to be here then we will come back with more with something else we're going to come back yeah and I, I was not sure what exactly they were going to do when they came back. Like they have zero power over anything, but. Well, I mean, that's, that's the fear, right? Is, is when they say we'll come back. Okay. To do what? Well, for most of the members of the movement, that means they'll come back and shout angrily and, and scream at people and carry a sign and maybe in, in, in extreme cases, rip their masks off. Right. Try to rip other people's masks. But it there's a small cadre within these movements where coming back means breaking windows or torching the place or. Right. We already see that that there is this escalation in, 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 in strategy in B.C. These folks were standing where, you know, they started by lining the streets and carrying signs. Right. Then they started picketing in front of hospitals. But they yeah. didn't just stand there silently picketing. They screamed at and harassed healthcare workers. They attempted to interfere with emergency vehicles that were coming in. They uh, were harassing and intimidating patients as patients were walking in for things like cancer treatment or non-elective surgeries. Right? right? People who are immunocompromised, they need to wear a mask. Even if it wasn't COVID, they'd be wearing a mask. Yeah, And yeah. they were being harassed and screamed. So we see this, this escalation. And then we see a smaller group go into public schools. And in mm-hmm. Canada, there has there, part of our cultural makeup, part of the, the cultural values of Canada is you don't mess with kids, right? You leave them alone. You do not involve them in your politics. Yeah. There's only a few groups that, that feel the need to do that. One of them are uh, uh, parents that are involved in white nationalist movements. Another... Uh, our parents who are deeply involved in anti-abortion movements uh, right. who will bring their kids out. And, but now we're seeing folks in the anti-mask and anti-vax movements not just targeting uh, or not just using kids. They're targeting safe spaces for children. They're right. forcing them into lockdowns. These kids were terrified. Of course. Right? They're, weaponizing their, they're weaponizing children's fears against their parents, right, to, to pressure their parents into... Into stopping, into stopping vaccination clinics, into stopping, you know, mask mandates. Yeah, that's that's pretty wild. I, like, I know uh, sometimes the rhetoric online doesn't match what a person sees in real world, but there's been a lot of people arguing that uh, my kid shouldn't have to wear a mask at school, or my kid shouldn't have to be doing this or mm-hmm. that, and and I guess. Some of that is the same stuff as I used to hear from just regular anti-vaxxers. Like, sure, 
but it does seem to have a different flavor to it in the current uh, climate. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the the anti-vax arguments back in the day were things like, I don't want my kid having the MMR jab. Well, you know, measles, mumps, and rubella, these aren't widespread pandemic uh, diseases, yeah. right? What, what these... What the, the, the vaccines, so the, the, the immunizations that, that happen as, as kids, those are to maintain herd immunity. They're to maintain, to keep the, 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 these diseases that are already, that have already been suppressed, to keep them suppressed. And so, you know, we're talking about parents who say, oh, I'm not getting my kids vaccinated. We're talking like 2 and 3% that aren't getting their kids vaccinated. Um, and that is a problem. But those, those diseases... Or have already been controlled and the act of not getting your kids vaccinated increases the chance of an outbreak like a measles outbreak, which we've seen statistically. The, the measles outbreaks are increasing as anti-vaxxers become more influential. Yeah. But in a case like COVID, we're not trying to keep a disease suppressed. We are fighting to prevent it from spreading even further, right? We're not talking about some you know, some disease like yeah. pertussis, which affects like a couple of hundred kids a year or whatever, or a couple thousand kids a year. We're talking about something that's killed five million people worldwide in yeah. the span of a year and a half. And that's with most of the planet locking down. Um, this is a qualitatively different scenario. And so parents saying, they're not just saying, I don't want my kid to wear masks. They're now arguing that no kids anywhere should wear masks. And they're right. not just saying, I don't want my kid to have a vaccine. They're arguing vaccines are going to kill kids. They're going to kill everybody. They are actively, they're trying, they're actively trying to impede public health orders designed to protect everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, and in uh, some cases you have people in power uh, actively placating these people and saying like, hey, yes, we're going to, we'll open wide up. And not have any restrictions. Yeah. And then when the numbers start getting out of hand, like they have here, uh, then you suddenly get like, oh, well, now you have to have a vaccine to get into places. Yeah. And now everybody's mad about that. <laughs> but that's that's the problem, right? Like you can't you can't weaponize uh, people. Uh, you can't you can't sort of whip people up, sort of activate your voter base by turning them against public health orders and then when the reality of the necessity of those public health orders smacks you in the face, it's very, very hard to, to, you know, to, to turn that, that tide, right? You, yeah. this is basically, you created a monster and now you find you can't control it, but it's, it's emblematic of a kind of very short sighted political strategy, right? Like, like look at Alberta. Alberta is a prime example of, of making a decision to oppose things like government lockdowns and and and, and immunization record, records and all this stuff had no basis in public policy. What it did right. was it was designed to shore up political support among the United Conservatives who were already beginning to fracture under Jason Kenney because there were already problems with yeah. happening. There were already there's already problems in Alberta and the, the Conservatives were already starting to fracture. And Kenney thought, "Fuck yeah, I can." I can, I can <laughs> like cluster them. I can get them all shored up again by giving them a solid thing to oppose, right? And we will never oppose or we will never enforce government. We'll never have a government mandate here. Not like those communists in British Columbia. And then while <laughs> British Columbia's curve flattens, 
and begins yeah. to our hospitalizations begin to decline and theirs begin to spike like now they're turning around and being like oh yeah no you you have to vaccinate and it's like well, you've just finished telling them for six months not to yeah it's very you can't change that you know like you've gotten <laughs> on the back of the tiger and now you can't get off yeah it's well and i mean people are justifiably uh you know disbelieving when they're very when the very same government who has told them previously not to worry about it uh now says oh we have to worry about mm -hmm. it like <clears throat> it's which is why you should never have done this in the first place right well this is and this is it this is why you had all these public health experts you had all these all these epidemiologists and all these and politicians right the, the ones with a little more foresight saying this is a bad plan if you start yeah. weaponizing if you start uh, if you start telling people, don't do this thing, you can't change six months later and be like, oh, by the way, do this thing. And we actually see this. Um, so Breitbart and other uh, far right channels have been screaming about vaccine mandates, right? Since the beginning, just screaming yeah. about them. It's communism, it's tyranny, blah, 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 blah. But now the numbers are coming in. And in the, in the United States, there is a sharp partisan distinction in hospitalization rates and death rates. And do you know who's yeah. dying? It's not Democrats. It's yeah. Republicans. It's And so now you start seeing these exact same people who for months and months and months have been screaming about vaccines now trying this really weird kind of of like 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 jujitsu where they're like they're, they're <laughs> yeah. sit, sitting there going, you know, it's the liberals. The liberals, they were screaming about mandates. And that made us good patriots decide we didn't want mandates. So we opposed them. But now yeah. we see the truth. Them them being in favor of man, of, of mandates and, and, and making us be opposed <laughs> to them was a psychological, it was psyops. It was psychological warfare yeah. designed to make us hate vaccines, the Trump vaccine. They're, it's designed to make us hate that so that we wouldn't take it so that we would die. And so now yes. we need to take the Trump <laughs> vaccine in order to defeat the liberal psychological warfare that was convincing <laughs> us not to take it in the first place. And you're sitting there going, that's a lot of mental gymnastics. Yeah, you're just, you need to be in the Olympics. That is some Simone Biles <laughs> level of like, like, yeah, that's pretty impressive stuff. Yeah. Or, or yeah. Or Amanda, Biles. I can't remember her name. Is it Simone? Is she the, yeah. the yeah, she's amazing. Anyways, it's it's that level of mental gymnastics. And, and you, you can watch them and you're sitting there going, okay, <laughs> I can't follow this. And I'm a fairly intelligent guy. The average listener of these podcasts do not have the, the critical thinking skills. And so they're going to be looking at this, getting the worst case of whiplash. But you yeah. can see it. You can see that even the grifters are going, oh, shit. It's, it's real hard to grift when our marks are dead. And yeah, so now right. they're trying to spin and it's, it's too late. It's too late. Yeah. It's, uh, so I guess where do we go from here? Is there uh do we just let this play out in a sense, like try and uh, get our governments to make sure they are holding on to mandates and stuff uh, until, you know, the people who are anti-vax and anti-mask all just die. Like, I mean, here's the silver lining. Okay, so BC, we uh, our, our vaccination rates were stalling at around seventy something percent. Okay, uh, it, they were they were stalling out, and then uh, the the province said, 
vaccine passports, your Im- proof of immunization, it, 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 the, the thing's going live like September 15th or something. And by October 1st, you're going to need those uh, to get into uh, to get into any non-essential spaces. So right. anything, dis- any discretionary spaces, gyms, movie theaters, restaurants, you now need to. So you show up and they check your ID and they check uh, your yeah. an app that shows your little uh, has a QR code they can scan and it'll show whether or not you've been vaccinated. And uh, uh, as soon as that was put in place, the rate started going back right? up again because all yeah. these people who were like, no, I don't really know. They were like, wait, maybe I'm not sure about the vaccine, but I am sure I like movies and restaurants. So they yeah. they started going. Um, and so our, our rates have been climbing again as these as these these uh, uh, mandates have been imposed. Uh, and, and the government has basically stopped playing and just been like, nope, this is what we're doing. Like, yeah. And we get, you know, scattered restaurants here and there that are like, nope, we're not complying. We're not going to comply. We're not going to do it. And it's like, well, I mean, the, the <laughs> thing you got to remember is that in B.C., like 80% of the population are vaccinated or or at the very least have the single dose and are well on their way to getting the second dose. Yeah. You're basically telling 80% of your of potential customers, we don't care about your safety. Yeah. That's yeah. not going to play well for you. So so the, the silver lining is that is that as these mandates are imposed and as the government signals that they're not messing around, the rates go up. And you know, you've got places like uh, New Zealand who were were very aggressive in their in their mandates. They're up. They're now above ninety percent, ninety percent vaccination rates. That's, That's great. Awesome. And yeah. um, we already see that that the government is. They're not in BC. They're not messing around with with these anti vaxxers They, you know, as soon as the the as soon as Health Canada approves the vaccines for for folks five and up. Um, the government has already said, yeah, no, we're putting vaccine clinics are going to be popping up everywhere. Um, yeah. We're already looking at booster shots uh, for, for the very old. Um, so when governments stop playing and just say, listen, you have you have every right to refuse the vaccine, but you also but that choice carries consequences. Right. It turns out. That when people are faced with the consequences of their own inactions, they yep. most of them tend to to choose to, you know, to go. Are we going to let the rest of them die? We're not letting them do anything. Right, the choice is always there for them. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I, I think like because we recently had a similar situation in Saskatchewan where I think it was around the fifteenth of uh, September we suddenly had an uh, vaccine passports starting October first. And again, like you say, like you had a spike in people going to get their vaccines. Like, uh, I think there's pop-up clinics in the city, uh, and you got to wait in line because now there's lineups to get your vaccine. So it, it does, it definitely makes a difference. But as, uh, I guess, as I was saying before the show, like the place where I work, which I don't think anybody knows where I work, but I don't think it's on anything public. Um, the place where I work said, okay, uh, you have to have your vaccine. Uh, you have to be vaccinated. And there's a number of guys who are uh, saying that they're absolutely going to refuse. And it's <sighs> it's interesting to, to, like, I wonder, 
on some level what the businesses are actually going to do because some businesses they can't really they can't actually fire you mm-hmm. or else they'll just have nobody in that position because they've already short staffed themselves so much there's nobody to fill in yeah <laughs> see i'm kind of left wondering like you can say yes ma- vaccines are mandatory but unless you actually have the teeth to back it up yeah like it, it doesn't mean anything yeah yeah, and this is this is the other side of the equation that that, that is is difficult is that of uh, of uh, enforcement, and yeah. uh, uh, so in, in so you know you can use bylaw enforcement officers, you can use the police if you have to, um, you can use fines, um, but the government can also do things like refuse to renew a business license. That's true, right? Yeah, and and the thing is 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 at some point governments have to make that decision. How important is it to which are they supposed to protect? You know, the small business owner or the population at large. Yeah. And it depends yeah. depending on the the political and ideological orientation of the of the government, you're going to get two very different answers. So, uh governments really do have to they have to make a decision and and what we're seeing in in you know, in some cases, governments that are swayed by evidence, right? That and are a little more, you know, thinking a little more long term, they're looking at the data and going, oh, it actually makes good economic sense to vaccinate, right? Like we're looking at the jobs right. numbers in Canada. We're seeing jobs, uh, you know, we're seeing uh, uh, employment numbers are, are, are doing are doing well. The, the, the economy seems to be bouncing back a little bit. And yeah, there's going to be holdouts and people who are like, well, we can't afford to fire. I mean, that sucks. <laughs> Yeah, but that's that's on the if we live in a capitalist economy, it's on the the business owner to to incentivize their workers to uh, to to get this done, to get to get vaccinated. And like, there's also the cost benefit analysis. Okay, great. So you've got uh, a couple of a couple of dudes that are like, I'm not going to get vaccinated. Cool. Well, if they get sick, they're out anyways. And yeah, that's true. And not only are they out, but everybody else is too. Like, yeah. if a business ends up with a COVID positive test. The business doesn't just open doors next day, right? It it has to go through, has to lock it down. It has to, people have to go into isolation. It's yeah, it's uh, it's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, and this is this is part of the the challenge, right? Is is not only convincing people that that the data is is you know convincing the skeptics and the holdouts and uh, skeptics, the vaccine yeah, skeptics, yeah, convincing the holdouts <laughs> that the data isn't on their side. That's one one challenge. The next. The, you know, the other challenge is, is, is getting them to think far enough ahead to see what the long-term consequences of decisions made right now will be like. Right. Yeah. Well, which is another tough thing to do in a capitalist uh, society when everybody's looking at the next quarter only. They don't look at the long-term project and see what's happening, but. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and this is, we, we can see globally, we see examples of, of countries that are, are ostensibly capitalist that make smarter decisions. Like, look at, is it Norway that, uh, that, that they, when they started uh, getting a lot of, uh, earning a lot of income from uh, oil and gas exploration, uh, they, instead of just immediately thinking about the short-term goals or short-term gain, they were like, we need to save against a rainy day. And they created a trillion dollar slush fund with profits. Yeah. Like <laughs> it is possible to think ahead, but too many of, of our, of our politicians and our, our business leaders are very much 
they have been very much socialized into this short-term thinking and short-term gains. So they yeah. do things like, oh yeah, no, I'll just uh, I'll just keep wages at an absolute minimum so that I make I make enough money on the next profit or the next uh, the next uh, in the next quarter. Rather than thinking, no, if I actually invest and take a smaller return, take you know, cut into my <laughs> margins a little bit, but increase the the wages that my my workers are are earning, they'll stick around longer. My training costs will be lower. Um, my they'll develop yeah. their own clientels. They'll develop their own regulars. They'll begin to develop. Uh, a kind of a kind of uh, a sustainable uh, customer base, but they don't do that. They no. they they keep the wages <laughs> low, so that their workers are working two and three jobs, so that they're not invested in anything, um, because they can't be because they're struggling, and then yeah. they don't understand why the worker the second that 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 something happens at the job, they're like fuck it, I'm out. Yeah. So they're chronically dealing with with staffing issues that are not has nothing to do with the workers. <laughs> it has everything to do with them. Yeah, so we need right. to we need to, to 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 get we need to get businesses and we need to get people to stop thinking that way. Or revolution, whatever. Or revolution, <laughs> but that's not going to happen. No, I, uh, as, as I get older, I get increasingly less uh, less hopeful. Uh, yeah, you know, I look at that's, I'm I'm yeah. you know I, I'm I'm lucky. I'm I'm in a very privileged position. Speaking as someone who sits on the left of the spectrum. I'm in a very privileged position. I'm in a province that is uh, currently being managed by a left, a center-left or, or left-leaning government. My, uh, I know that my my MP. I know for a fact that she is at at the minimum uh, a social democrat, but is likely quite a bit more left than that. My MLA is very, very much the, in in the same boat. Um, nice. I'm surrounded by people. Who uh, who are already uh, steeped in 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 this kind of critical perspective? So I'm I'm in a very privileged position, um, which I'm reminded <laughs> of every time I go to visit family in the interior of BC, where they haven't elected anyone uh, even centrist in forty years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, good old Saskatchewan in the in the recent election went entirely conservative. So. Color me shocked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's two in a row <laughs> it's uh it's a uh, yeah yeah i mean it but this is it absolutely floors me i gotta be honest with you it absolutely floors me saskatchewan has is you know huge chunks of, of saskatchewan's economy is agrarian like it's, yeah. it's rooted in agriculture conservative governments <laughs> routinely uh engage in policies that that demonstrably harm small farmers and even moderate uh, uh, family farms or, 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 or farming outfits, they're the only thing that these guys do. The only thing that these parties do is benefit agribusiness, right? And so, like it, it, it just, it just blows my mind. Yeah, complain about uh, the demise of the family farm, and then support politicians who make it a corporate interest to be. Yeah, farming. You, exactly. You you know, I, I had relatives who they're all they live out in the prairies and they're they're all farmers. You know, my whole family did farmers for generations and they they sit there and they're raging about, oh, you know, the liberals, they're the ones that they're destroying. They're destroying our livelihood. And it's like uh, geniuses. It was the conservatives <laughs> that annihilated the wheat board. Like, do, yeah. do you understand how the wheat board helped you? Do you get how a single desk setting prices helped small farmers? you don't then maybe you should stop talking about what you think the liberals have done to you because buddy 
it was the party that you voted for that did this to you. Yeah. Like, I mean, not to get all Marxist, but like that is if that is not the <laughs> definition of false consciousness. I cannot tell you what is like, <laughs> yeah. like you, you look at them and you're like, OK, so you've got the wheat board. The wheat board sets price for for for, for crops, um, which benefits the small farmer because it allows the small farmer to compete with large agribusiness because you're all dealing with the same the same price. But then you vote for a party that tells you to your face if you elect us, we're going to destroy that thing and it'll actually cause your your profits to drop. And then you vote for them anyways, <laughs> because you think that what they were lying to you. Yeah. Or because you've been led to believe that some centralized planning for your prices is bad. Yeah. Like <laughs> this is but this is one of those things where it's like the only way that you really get that the, the actions they're taking are bad is if you understand that the only thing keeping small farms alive in Canada are government subsidies, are uh, shields against international competition. Because yeah. if you're growing canola in, in Saskatchewan and they're growing canola in like Venezuela, sorry, Saskatchewan farmer, but that canola is going to be cheaper for them to grow it in Venezuela, harvest it, process it and ship everything up here than it is for you to make it. So you better yeah. believe that government <laughs> subsidies and government protections are the only thing keeping your farm out of the hands of the banks. Well, and and it, wasn't it, correct me if I'm incorrect, if I'm wrong, but uh, wasn't it also a conservative government that put in place like the, uh, the deal where no government could subsidize farming except for the United States. Yeah. <laughs> like that was, I think, I think that was Brian Mulroney. Yeah, that was, so that was conservatives <laughs> in the free trade agreement. That was uh, Republicans in the United States. Remember uh, Ronald Reagan in the United States rose to, to prominence as this like sort of compassionate conservative who was just like, yeah, I, I care about everybody. And one of the very first things he did in the early 19, or in, in the, in, around 1980 was annihilate uh, the, the the farming, like basically the entire agricultural sector in the United States. His policies, uh, uh, gutting subsidies, uh, opening doors to to free trade, uh, smashing uh, labor movements and, and farming uh, cooperatives, that had the, the effect of, of destroying the livelihood of tens of thousands of American farmers who lost their jobs and lost their farms overnight. And those farms, it's not like that land just disappeared. It was snapped up by agribusiness. So yeah, that's right. You end up with these like, <laughs> what is it? Like the Carlisle Group that controls like most, uh, most of the uh, of, of like slaughterhouses yeah. and and, and uh, 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 like meat uh, production in the United States. And the same thing happened in in BC and in 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 Canada, right? Conservative governments get in power. The uh, the liberals in BC who are just a con who are just the conservatives, um, they, they get <laughs> yeah. in power and they pass laws and regulations doing things like uh, uh, making it uh, a man you know mandating that certain standards have to be maintained for say slaughterhouses. Okay, right. Like regardless of your your feeling about about slaughterhouses, um, the le the legislation passed both at the federal level and at the provincial level annihilated small slaughterhouses and small processing plants in British Columbia. It ended up with there are now only five processing plants in Western Canada, and they're all owned by like two companies. So yeah, that's right. All of these conservative parties routinely stick it to their own voters and their own yeah. voters don't seem to recognize that that's actually happening.
Like the number of farmers that were celebrating when the wheat board was 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 taken down, and it was like, you know, you're going to be out of business in ten years, right? Yeah, like, this screws you. Like it <laughs> actually you hurts this? you. This is a case of like, this is like, you know, like destroying my livelihood to own the libs or not getting a vaccine to own the libs. And it's like no right. one's getting owned here, buddy, except for you. <laughs> yeah, like you are. Yeah, that does seem to be a consistent theme. Is like, uh, I'm going to hurt myself in favor of an ideology that I think hurts other people. That's exactly it. It, And we saw this in Brexit as well, right? All these folks who are voting for Brexit, these conservatives in the Midlands and in in the United Kingdom, and you'd say to them, why are you voting? And they're like, well, we just don't want those foreigners here taking all our jobs. You know, we want to, we want to have, we want to have our own, we want to have control over our own fisheries or control over our own shipping control over our own food production. And then everyone around them is saying, but you know, if you do this, all of those workers that you rely on to, to process your goods and catch your fish and, and ship your freight, they're all gone, right? They're, yeah. You're actually going to harm <laughs> yourself. And they're like, no, we're not. We're not. We're, we're getting our freedom back. And then Brexit happens. And now it looks like the United Kingdom just announced that they might have to deal with food rationing. <laughs> like that's hmm. all the remainers <laughs> were screaming at them. If you do this, bad things will happen. And they were just like, Screw you, libs. We're doing it. Freedom. Yeah. And it's like, great. Now you've got the freedom to have all of your crops rotting in the field because you have no no European yeah, workers. Nobody to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just ridiculous. It, it's unreal to me. Um, and you, you want to say to them, like, why aren't you seeing this? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, well, it's it's I I mean, to be a little empathetic, it's hard for them to see it when everybody they watch and everybody they listen to is telling them the opposite. Oh, 100%. So 100%. Uh, like if, if, if you look around and you see that, 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 you know, every news channel in your hometown is Fox news. Um, yeah. You know, it was the same. I grew up in a small town and, uh, and every, everybody that you talk to, they all shared similar viewpoints and they were, you know, the, the, the majority of the town were small C conservatives. And so, that was your worldview. That was, and you couldn't understand like why you kept voting for the same guy. And he kept saying he was going to fix things for you and nothing ever got fixed. never fixed it. And you were like, <laughs> yeah. well, why? And he was just like, well, it's Ottawa. Ottawa's the problem. And you're like, okay, well, I guess Ottawa's the problem, but you don't seem to make the connection that no, wait, he's in Ottawa. He's Ottawa. And he's yeah, been there for 20 right. years. How has he not fixed this for you? It's, I see similar things with the, uh, attachment to the oil, uh, industry here now is because everybody like so many people work for the oil industry and it's become such a identity Mm -hmm. here that it's like people like they'll ignore any facts that are negative about oil in an industry and or like climate change (laughs) like in favor of just keeping to do things the same as they always did even though these big companies are still laying people off and they're still, you know, taking bigger profits and they're abandoning wells that are uh, leaching gas and killing livestock. It's (laughs) it's even worse than that. They don't just ignore the negatives of, of oil and gas. They don't just look and go, Oh shit. Yeah. Like this is actually harming the planet. They actively, a lot of these folks actively ignore the positives of alternative fuel industries. So we do know, from from tons of research that uh, you know budget offices and everything doing forecasts that if say Alberta and Saskatchewan were to shift and divert not even abandon oil and gas but just diversify their energy sector to include solar and wind 
primarily, um, it would add a hundred thousand jobs. Like it would add a hundred thousand jobs. Like it would, it, yeah. it would be a net boon, but, but you're right because people, the, it's not the oil and gas industry. Isn't an industry anymore. It is an right. element of Saskatchewan or Alberta's identity. And so when you say yeah. like, you know, the oil and gas is like, they're horrible. Like they're a horrible, they're a horrible industry. They knew they've known since the early 1920s that CO2 is, is, is a greenhouse gas. They've known since the 1940s and 50s that it's actually making the planet worse. Uh, we need to do something about it there. They hear you need you're attacking me personally. And and you're just like, <laughs> yeah. no, I'm not. But so they, they won't just they won't just say, I don't want to hear anything bad about the oil and gas industry. They'll tell you, I don't want to hear anything good about anything else. And that's yeah. a yeah. that that's some powerful socialization. Yeah, but I guess it's been a, a multi-decade uh, propaganda campaign, right? One hundred percent. Yeah, and they have all the power, yeah. right? Like that, they're you, you've got even the NDP takes money from oil and gas. Like they say they don't, yeah. but they do. My, you know, the university I work for, they only just started uh, di- uh, divestment because their investment portfolio was was like deeply enmeshed with oil and gas industries. And this is a, a university that prides itself on being like <laughs> left wing and progressive and, right. and critical. And here they are right, benefiting from oil and gas. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I guess we've been talking for over an hour. Uh, let's do the where can people find your stuff? OK, uh, so um I, I tend to be a little bit uh, a little bit secretive. Uh, so so my only social media that you can really find me is you can go to WordPress uh, and go to Sociology of the Weird. Uh, this is where I, uh, I use the sociological imagination to investigate uh, strange beliefs, uh, things like uh, new religious movements, conspiracy theories, uh, alternative history and pseudo archaeology. I also nice. have a weekly Twitch stream where I play video games and talk about sociology. You can find that at the Sociocalypse. So Sociocalypse uh, on Twitch. Nice. I, I was quite happy to see that you're blogging again because <laughs> I know that you had a blog a long time ago. I did. And then kind of abandoned it. Um, so I'm happy to see you're writing again. Well, the, the death threats have subsided and the doxing <laughs> has subsided. Uh, I haven't added a new death threat to my to my death threat folder for for a couple of months now. So so I feel like I feel like I can get back into into uh, into blogging again. Good, good. I, I'm glad that the death threats have subsided. <laughs> I'm sure they'll pick up again. Oh, yeah, they always do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but thanks so much for your time. It was great talking to you. My pleasure. Always a pleasure. All right, that's all, folks. Thanks for watching and or listening. Uh, Remember to share this show with your friends and on the social media site that you use the most. I want to say thank you again to everyone who supports this show on Patreon. It's really appreciated, and it helps me spend more time on this and my other projects when I'm not at work so that I don't have to work as many gig hours. Uh, If you want to contribute, you can do that at patreon.com slash skeptical leftist, or you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash skeptical lefty. If you can't contribute financially, then a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app of choice or one of the podcast review sites like Podchaser would be great. If you want to find more from me, then you can check out the show notes or check my link tree. That's linktr.ee slash skepticalcory. 
You can find all my social media stuff there, as well as links to my other shows, which includes Skeptarchy, which is a panel show I do with some very smart people, uh, From Many People's Strength, which is a show about Saskatchewan politics, and a new project I'm involved in that's called The Atheist, Humanist, Leftist Revolutionaries with my friend Damien Marie at Hope. My Twitter is at Skeptical Lefty, and my Facebook page is at, is The Mind of a Skeptical Leftist. Or you can send me a friend request, which is uh, facebook.com slash cjbrainstorm. I accept most friend requests. You can also email me at mindofaskepticalleftist at gmail.com. And if you want to be a guest on the show or know someone I should reach out to, then feel free to let me know. You can book interviews in my available time slots on my Calendly, which you can find on my link tree. Uh, thanks so much for listening. And let's just all try to be kind to other leftists and to all people and even if we think they're wrong. Uh, the battle that we are fighting is an uphill one and has many obstacles, and we will need all the confidence we can get. just hit the perfect time of the morning so there's a window there's a window but there's also a window of time where mm. i have really good lighting in my office and where i have blinding eye of sauron light in the office and we are in the eye of sauron right now so <laughs> i apologize if half my face uh i'm like the Gets moon I've got like out. The, there's got like the terminator right i've got like the normal side and like the the the, the washed out side but here we are that's all right